This podcast is brought to you by Ride IQ. Ride IQ is a first of its kind equestrian coaching platform that will transform your independent schooling rides. Ride IQ members get access to the private mobile app with hundreds of on demand listen while you ride audio lessons taught by the world's top eventing, hunter jumper, and dressage coaches. Membership is only $29.99 per month, and every membership automatically includes a free trial. When you sign up at ride-iq.com. On today's episode of In Stride, Sinead interviews Liz Halliday-Sharp. Liz has had several top finishes at the CCI five-star level of eventing and is an established member of the U.S. Equestrian Eventing High Performance Training List. Liz was named to the 2020 U.S. Olympic Eventing Team, but sadly had to withdraw shortly before the Games because her horse, De Niro Z, had a minor injury. Liz's athletic accomplishments aren't limited to eventing. She was also a very successful professional racing driver in sports car and GT endurance disciplines. Today, Sinead and Liz are talking about navigating the highs and lows of equestrian sports. We hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, well, everyone, I'm really excited that we have Liz Halliday Sharp joining us today. And um, Liz, you were on my, when we first started this, I definitely, your name was at the top of my list. And I'm so excited that we kind of got times cooperated, collaborated. I don't know what that word is to um, get on this cast together. And I really appreciate, um, you know, you taking the time out of your schedule because I know, I, I know finding an hour and a half anywhere in any day of the week in the horse industry is pretty impossible. So I really appreciate it. Well, it's my pleasure. And um, it took some planning. I started pretty early today, <laughs> the horses, but here we are. We managed it. <laughs> I love it. Um, well, you know, a lot of stuff I was, I was kind of doing a little homework yesterday and obviously I, I feel like I know you pretty well and, but it's always fun to kind of go and look up a little bit about everybody and do kind of the stalking, you know, so sorry, I stalked you. And, um, <laughs> but you know what, I, I wanted to talk a, a bit today about kind of finding, um, you know, the balance of everything, because I know that that is, um, you know, a struggle for all of us that do this professionally. And I feel like the last few years for you in particular, and I've been kind of watching from the sidelines, um, have been really intense. And, you know, you've been everywhere from England to the US from uh, buying a, a new farm in um, Kentucky to trying, you know, the Olympics happening in 2020 to happening in 21 to everything that happened there. And then obviously, you know, so everything that happens in between. Um, so there's a few subjects I'd love to talk about there, but the other thing I wanted to back up because I actually don't know a lot about you from like, I don't know, pre 2005. <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I, you know, I kind of was thinking, I mean, I know you're originally from California, but I'd love to just get a little history about, you know, how you got into the horse thing and was it a family thing? And, you know, and then I know you ended up in the UK, but could you kind of introduce me and our listeners a little bit to your history and how you got into horses in the first place? Um, sure. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny story because I have no family history in horses whatsoever. Like not, not a single one. I have no idea where it came from, <laughs> but, um, as long as I can remember, I wanted to ride. I mean, I always loved big animals, even when I was tiny and, 
I used to ride the the tree in the backyard with a towel and a jump rope um, for rains and, uh, you know, and then um, basically there was a little barn down the road um, from where I grew up in Southern California that we drove past every day. And um, I just begged my mom every day. I said, please, can I have riding lessons? Please, can I have riding lessons? And eventually she um, let me go and do that. And um, I suppose the rest is history. But it was a uh, it was the right sort of place, I think, for a kid starting because you know, you had to work hard to learn how to do everything. You had to groom your own horses. You had to do all the stuff. And, and my parents, you know, made me wear rubber boots until I was committed enough. And I didn't, wasn't allowed yeah. to have my first pair of britches until I was committed enough. I had to buy all my own saddles with my allowance money and, mm-hmm. you know, all those things. And um, yeah. I, I applaud my family for doing it that way because it made me learn how to work for it. Yeah, absolutely. And was it, a, um, was it a, I'm assuming it was an English barn? Was it an inventing barn or show jumping or...? Uh, it it wouldn't have been that specific. It was yeah, just, it was just a, the barn that we all grew up in. Barn. Yeah, they yeah, had horses, ponies. <laughs> yeah, my first lesson was in a western saddle, and then I was like, yeah. right, when do I get to jump? <laughs> There's fun. a horn in the way. Yeah, yeah exactly. It was um, yeah, it was nothing fancy. Let's yeah. put it that way. It was um, I rode some old quarter horse that kind of went around the ring, and that was where I started. <laughs> And then what, so were your, were your parents sports people? Were they business people? Did they kind of get it from, from a different angle? Um, my parents actually started their own business. And, um, you know, when, when I was younger, uh, it took them a lot of hard work and struggle to yeah. kind of get it going. And then it ultimately became very successful. So um, they're, they're very hardworking people. And um, my dad was very much into motorsport. He was a racing instructor for a lot of years. And that was really his big passion was car right. racing. So that's sort of where I got into that from. Um, but yeah, I would say um, other than that, I mean, we always watched the only sports we ever watched on TV as a family was Formula One and the Indy 500. We didn't, so we didn't so watch funny. any other sports. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I guess yeah. there are, I mean, you can tell us more about that, but there definitely would be some parallels and kind of a high adrenaline, high intensity uh you know, all in kind of sport, hey, with the with the driving and with the horses. Oh, for sure. I mean, of course, um, you know, both sports are high speed sort of all body sports where you've got a, you know, a lot of hand eye coordination and just being um, quick in your brain, I think. And um, certainly it's all about weight balance. Um, you wouldn't drive into a hairpin corner the same way you would drive a big fast fifth gear corner, just like you wouldn't ride a bounce on cross country the same way you'd ride a galloping fence so there's a lot right. of a lot of parallels there obviously the biggest difference is that um one of them has a brain and the other doesn't so that, <laughs> yeah. that makes it very different and yeah. also wonderful all at the same time. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it, it is an ever um yeah it keeps you interested at all times that whole animal with the brain thing um so then what was the next thing what what kind of made the jump into the competition um side of things or the eventing side of things what kind of bridged that gap um yeah my first competition was actually at a little hunter jumper show um Mm -hmm. and I did a few of those but found them very disappointing because I had sort of the least quarter horse down the road which was never going to be competitive and it was always kids on big fancy ponies that were winning um so then we had um a little pony club down the road um and I thought I'd go and give that a try on said least horse. And um, 
when I went and jumped a solid fence for the first time, that was it. I said, well, this is better. <laughs> it's not just yeah. fancy ponies and little kids with their bum out the back. It was something a little more exciting. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, and that was that was me hooked, I think. Oh, cool. And so did you stay in Pony Club? Was that uh, something that you did for a while? I did, yeah. I actually did the Pony Club uh, National Championships as well. Um, I was on the show jumping team um and then um was meant to be on the eventing team one year and my horse um tied up before that which was a okay. shame but uh, and i was on a no down team as well oh yeah <laughs> so, <Good down. laughs> yep. yeah and i went up through my b rating i think it was a long time ago oh that's um, so cool but yeah it was a big part of my life you know and it um yeah. it taught me a lot and i i would encourage anyone uh, with kids to send them that road yeah, it's such a, um, it's so funny. My, well, Tick is an A pony clubber and his parents. Wow. Both, I know. <laughs> would you never guess, right? And both his brothers are. So, and his brothers don't ride at all anymore, but his huh. parents are horse people. And that was just kind of like what they had to do. They all had to go through pony club. They all did Prince Philip games. And um, I think all three of them got through their A. I know at least Tick did. And then they could do whatever they wanted. It was kind of like parents saying, you know, you got to go to college and then you can do whatever you want. But um, yeah, yeah, it was. And I think I did Pony Club a little bit, but I think um, the area that I was in wasn't great. But um, yeah, I think if you can get into a good Pony Club, I mean, you can't really go wrong, right? It's like, it's just got so much good and safe information. And, and then you can split off. And obviously now we've got, um, you know, our, our ICP programs and things like that, that are getting uh, so much more specific, but it's a pretty... Um, yeah, it's kind of a scary, I'm sure you've run into this. It's kind of scary sometimes, um, because anybody can kind of call themselves a trainer and you can end up in any barn and, you know, like some people are very fortunate and end up in great barns as kids. And some people are not so fortunate and they, you don't know what you don't know, but pony club, it's hard to get it wrong, you know? So yeah. you kind of know that your kid is going to be safe, hopefully. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, you just learn a lot about horsemanship and, yeah. Um, it's just learning how to look after everything yourself. Cause I think that's still such an important thing today. And a lot of, um, children who sort of grow up in a family that has horses, maybe they don't learn to muck out the stalls and yeah. bandage their horses themselves and scrub their saddle with a toothbrush. It's like bringing back memories of bringing all my tack home and sitting in front of the TV with the toothbrush exactly. because, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and then having mm -hmm. to put like Ziploc bags on the bottom of your boots while you're going over for inspection. <laughs> yep. uh, I don't know if those that. are great memories or not. <laughs> like, kind of switching mixed, a little bit. Feelings. Oh, no, exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, that's awesome. Um, so then, then how, then you went to school in California? You went to university in California? I Sorry. did. I went to um, University of California, Santa Barbara. Mm -hmm. And um, I actually brought my horse with me and found a barn. I decided to keep riding. I think I was the only one of my friends that did. But I wouldn't say that I was anything special then. I wasn't a particularly hard worker with the horses. I just kind of kept riding. I had my old thoroughbred mare that I got, my little off-track thoroughbred mare. And um yeah i ended up at don Sachi's barn don and dan oh, wow. Sachi's barn yeah yeah which was amazing another and good yeah a good stumble <laughs> yeah and i actually it's funny i stay in touch with uh dana a lot because i actually um sold horse to her a couple years ago really um, yeah we stay in touch she's really lovely um 
I haven't spoken to Don for a few years, but we did stay in touch for a long time as well. But um, it was a really great step for me because I got my butt kicked, which I probably mm-hmm. needed. And um, actually, Don encouraged me to to have a go and, and, and move to England. Ultimately, when I kind of made a decision to maybe do it, he really pushed me to do that. Oh, really? It was a good idea. Yeah. After sort of, I was like, oh, I think I'm going to do this. And and he was definitely um, an, an encouraging factor for that. Um, so yeah, I did three years at UCSB and um, towards a marine biology degree, which uh-huh. um, probably doesn't fall in line with what I'm doing now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I like fish still. <laughs> yeah. Had a few really great fish tanks. Um, <laughs> yeah. Somewhat close but, to the um, ocean. <laughs> I know. Um, but yeah. And then um, I was meant to spend a year in England and it kind of became 20 so there we Were go. Were you there for that long? <laughs> 20 years yeah. Can you oh believe my it? god no I didn't yeah. realize that geez Louise so yeah. you moved there right after school. I actually right didn't college. finish school I was meant to take a year off um, <laughs> which was accepted because I had good grades but yeah um, yeah it was I actually went over there so I went to <clears> England <throat> for the first time <clears throat> my it was spring break of my junior year and my parents were spending some time over there. My dad, um, who ultimately passed away in 2012, he knew he had um, something weird going on with his brain. He knew there was something not right. And he ended up, you know, being ill for a long time. But um, he wanted to race the great tracks of Europe before he mm-hmm. couldn't drive a car anymore. Oh, wow. So he actually said, I'm going to go over there and get a historic car and I'm going to race at Silverstone and Donington and go, you know, try and race all these amazing circuits. Um, wow. Which I think is really cool. Yeah. And, um, so I went over there. It was my first trip to England ever. Um, and just for a holiday, I guess. And mm-hmm. my dad said to me, you know, I really think you should think about living in another country for a period of time in your life and maybe focus on horses for a bit, just do something. My dad is big into risk. You know, he's a big Mm -hmm. risk taker. He was always saying, you know, you should always take risks in your life because without that, you've got nothing. So he was pushing me to do a year away and just focus on something different. Anyway, a friend of ours who my dad was racing with, who we're still very close to, um, his wife somehow got William Fox Pitt's number. I don't actually know how. (laughs) Maybe he'd remember how. And she (laughs) randomly called him up and he must have thought she was this mad woman. (laughs) <laughs> and then she said, oh, this this girl's over here from California and, you know, she maybe maybe you should have her come work for you and whatever. And so next thing I know, I'm on the phone call with him and he says, well, you better jump on a train and come see us. So off wow. I went and the train down to Bister and where he was based then had an interview and he said, yeah, why don't you come and work with us? And so I decided to. <laughs> so when when was that? What year was that? Oh my gosh, it would have been 1999 that I was over there. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then I moved I moved to England in January of 2000. Wow. So that's so wild. Time. I just had no I for I don't know why I didn't realize it was that long. Um, that's why that's nobody amazing. knew me at all over here because I just Yeah, that's when I was like backing up. I was like, like who is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, because I well I remember I was trying to remember like I think when I was over there we crossed paths a few times and then you had, you know, then I think, I don't know if there were some selectors or something that were going over there for a bit. And I don't know, you're, I just couldn't pinpoint. I mean, cause now, unfortunately, like 
you know, I think something was five years ago and I look at the date and it was like 25 years ago. <laughs> and I'm like, damn it. So that's when yeah, yesterday I was like, I was trying to figure out kind of, you know, you know, when, when you were actually here. So that makes actually a lot more sense. So you went to go work for, and then how long did you work for William? Um, I was based with him for probably around three years. Right. Um, I actually only worked really full time, like as in doing everything for about six months because I'd had a skiing accident um, not that long before I moved there. And basically yeah. I ended up being completely crippled from the stripping the stalls. I literally couldn't even walk right. at one stage right? Um, because I yeah had had a back injury that I hadn't really dealt with. So um, yeah, but through I still... And through. I know. Um, <laughs> I actually ended up staying. I, I still stayed around there and I just would come in and ride any horse he'd let me ride. Basically, yeah. I would still turn up every day. And, and then I went and did all my British Horse Society um, stuff. So I did I did that at the same time. I went to Talend School of Equitation mm -hmm. and did stages one through four and a teaching degree for British Horse Society. Oh, wow. And then would, would drive down to Williams uh, in the afternoon and ride whatever was going in my horse and just tried to get my butt in as many saddles as I could. <laughs> right, exactly. So the British, um, the the school there that you went to for your teaching degree there. So what would be, um, you know, obviously having spent so much time there and here, not in that granted it was a while ago, but, um, you know, what, can you pinpoint some things that were the same or different or was there a universal theme that you felt like you took away from there or something that made made it a little bit different than what you had done before? I mean, I suppose it's a little bit like going through Pony Club, but the BHS is really, it's it's actually quite antiquated, a lot of it, um, but it's still very well recognized worldwide. Mm -hmm. So at the time, you know, I was young and I thought this is a good opportunity. And I will say I learned a lot you know, yeah. just from the... Um, like just studying for the stage four, I had to learn a lot. Like it's, it's a bit like taking your B or your A, I suppose. Right. It's a right. serious <clears throat> exam and it's obviously writing as well as um, a lot of knowledge. So that was very useful. And, and of course my time spent there, I, you know, did a lot of training with different people and I got to ride a lot with Pammy Hutton, which I'm still oh, wow. very close to her. And I still yeah. was training with Pammy just before we moved over here. I went back to train with her a bit and she's a big supporter um, right. to me and yeah she's really wonderful so um yeah that's how I got to know Pammy was I was basically at their farm yeah um so I drive down there in the mornings and then I drive back to Williams and that sort of thing yeah for a few years the hustle the <laughs> hustle um that's so cool so okay so then we'll fast forward to you know kind of when was there the time that you kind of thought well maybe i'll head back to the states or split my time or any of that what was that transition like um well we we sort of uh, made a decision to invest in some property i had um, a little bit of inheritance and i thought this it would be wise to try and do something good with it you know invest somewhere that's up and coming and mm -hmm. you know originally um i sort of thought about ocala and um i knew some people there obviously i'd been based with joe meyer for a long time in england and he'd just moved over there and so i knew about it and um so we sort of thought oh maybe we should go and have a look hence how we met ocala horse properties 
who are now our dear friends and my owners. Um, mm -hmm. I actually found them on the internet and called them up and <laughs> we went and looked at some farms um, and we bought, originally bought our farm just as an investment. We weren't necessarily going to spend time there. And uh, that was in 2013. And then we started thinking, well, maybe if we sold some horses like on the trip and everything, we could make it make sense. And then I could actually get myself back over and compete against everyone a little bit. And mm -hmm. so that's sort of where the first move for the winter started um, when we went to Ocala for the winter. And then we go back to England um, for the summers, which was wonderful, but totally non-sustainable yeah and bonkers so yeah. um yeah so i think eventually we started saying well we've got to choose we've got to do one or the other um and it made a lot of sense financially from a business standpoint from a lot of different things from team aspiration standpoint etc to um move ourselves full-time to the u.s so the u.s in yeah 2020 just... was the first time we did that was that 2020 yeah yeah god yeah. Yeah. Um, that's wild. Yeah. I mean, the idea of being in England for the summer and in Florida for the winter is like, so like sexy. It's like, so like, yeah, that'd be awesome. But then when you look at the logistics of it, you're like, it's insane. Oh my God. Yeah. It's your head spin. Um, yep. <laughs> you know, it, like, it's not, like you said, it's not, it's not like having cars here and cars there and you just have to move yourself. It's like your staff, your horses, you know, if you owned a plane, it would be one thing, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is, is just wild. Um, wow. That's crazy. So 2020, you were here full time and, and then which, and then was it just last year, the was our 2021 or 2020 that you bought the farm in Kentucky? Uh, we actually bought it in, uh, <clears throat> 2019, but we moved there for the first time in 2020. Gotcha. Yeah, sort of uh, right. it took us a while because we built the barn and we built basically the whole horse facility from scratch. Um, mm -hmm. It had a really great house and a lot of fenced in fields and everything, but um, no real facility there. So it took us a little while to get that built. That but, gotcha. Yeah, so we moved there in the summer of 2020 for the first time. Okay. Okay, so now I've caught up on your life. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and now yeah, here we I are. Well. <laughs> You're like, wait a second. Um, awesome. So, so okay. So now let's circle back to um, kind of this. And you, it actually is interesting because one of the first things that you were talking about is the similarities in the literal balance between race car driving and cross country riding. Um, and that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you a little bit about today. And, um, you know, kind of amidst all of that, because that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot of moving. That's a lot of you know, being all over the place and big decisions and big risk taking. And that's interesting to hear, um, again, being brought up by somebody, obviously by two fairly uh, hardworking and entrepreneurial type minds, that risk taking part of things is um, kind of bred in, <laughs> yeah. uh, you <laughs> know, and you're like, yeah, but for, you know, for some people, it's hard to move, you know, two houses down the road and you're kind of jet setting and moving and changing career paths and going to being a marine biologist one day and then a professional um, rider the next and a race car driver. So it's kind of, it's all over the place. So that balance <laughs> thing, <laughs> um, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you handle that? I mean, how do you kind of, 
a foot in every direction and on the ground at the same time. How would you talk about that? <laughs> um, I mean, I would say I sort of thrive on pressure and chaos. <laughs> is, yeah, um, yeah. That, that is kind of how I roll. Um, mm -hmm. I really love just being really busy all the time. Yeah much to my husband's sadness. Um, <laughs> but um, <clears throat> yeah, I actually absolutely love it. I loved moving around. I, I still love being able to be in Ocala and then going back to Kentucky. I like sort of change and just going all the time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, certainly back when I was still racing, I was eventing at the same time. And that was, I mean, it was awesome because I was young and single and just blasting around I was either like on yeah. a plane or on a horse or in a car and I was just all over the world basically doing yeah. that which was super fabulous um again a bit crazy but you know why not the opportunity yeah. was there and I had some great sponsors for a while there and it was it was awesome um okay. again not sustainable but fun <laughs> <laughs> it was really cool well it lasted and then I was like well I can't do both forever this is um, but again, one of those opportunities in life that I would never, um, never look back with anything but fond memories on. Um, and it was a hard decision to step away from that sport, but it, it was my decision. And I just, uh -huh. yep. So that's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, eventually, cause it just was a bit too hard to do the two. And I really wanted to focus on my horse career and I felt that it could be a career. Whereas I mean, motorsports wonderful, but it's not. It's very hard to make any money in that right. ever. Um, yeah. You basically function off of sponsors and whatever else you can sort out. Um, but I did get to work in television for a long time for, in racing, which was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. So that sort of kept me in it still for a good ten years. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So that was and is that enjoyable. something you're still you still do a bit of or you kind of close the door on that a bit um i i still really enjoy it i would love to do I, I mean i love live television especially and um i'd happily do more it's just a time thing really now yeah. um yeah. and uh yeah i i start i think my last year at Le Mans was maybe 2019 mm -hmm. it was my last year there and i did i did 10 years working for um eurosport international there which was a lot of fun and done sort of a few stints with like CBS sports and various other things. But um, it's always something I sort of considered would be like a get out plan if yeah. I needed one. Like it's something yeah. I would happily do as my career if I didn't have this. Um, but obviously I can't imagine being without horses and doing this level of crazy that we all do. I, yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. Um, so I want to go back a little bit to, um, I just wrote down that the thriving on pressure, um, mm -hmm. you know, cause I think that's, that's like such an interesting mindset because, um, you know, whether you're, you know, whether you're an adult amateur or a young rider or a professional, I mean, there's, there is pressure. There's always going to be pressure that you're dealing with, <clears throat> with your time on the tack or at the competition, whether it's pressure you're putting on yourself, like internal, external, environmental, whatever. <clears throat> And when you talk about thriving on pressure, is it like, can you talk about that a little bit more? Like what, 
you know, some people are really fearful of pressure and some people really grow, like grow under pressure. And some people are happy when the pressure is off and then they enjoy it after the fact. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's a lot of us. You're like, that was great. I mean, I don't think it was in the moment, but. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I'm still glad I did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, is that, would yeah, you combine I mean, that a little bit with adrenaline or what would you? Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, look, I, I like, um, I really like having a goal all the time and like working yeah. towards something and, and being in that competition space. I really enjoy that. Um, I'm super ADHD. That's probably no joke to anyone that knows me. So I think that's where my brain benefits from just going hard all the time. And I think that's part of where just um, being in that environment where I need to try and perform you know what I mean? That that mm -hmm. really works for me. I just I like being in that space where I have to try and perfect something or get better at something or beat someone or I just yeah, uh, I just yeah. like being in that space. And a lot of people don't. And of course, that's not to say that, you know, you don't suffer nerves or be in a place where you're really ready for it to be done. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, of course, yeah. When you're sitting in the Starbucks at Burley, you're like, OK. This was a terrible decision. Yeah. Uh, yeah right. so, 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 you know, it's not to say for a minute that you don't have those moments where you are ready for it to be over. And yes, that moment when it is done is always the best moment mm -hmm. when you look back on it. But some of that elation at the end, I think, is because you've put yourself in that place. Right. See what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not explaining it very well, but no, I think I'm, you know, it's, no, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, I think the interesting part that you just said about pressure made it to me, actually, I just wrote it down because it made the idea of pressure seem much more tangible, like, and much more workable because it's, uh, you know, setting a goal and then putting the time in and then putting yourself in a pressurized situation to see if that worked, you know, and that risk taking part of it. And then at the end of it, like if it does work, then that's the elation. That's the like it, you know, yes, this, this is awesome. And then you kind of look forward to that. And maybe pressure is like all of that. You know, maybe it, it's the goal, the work, the the thing, the after thing. Maybe it's like this massive pressure bubble that we put ourselves in and it kind of blends all that together. I don't know. I think I like the way you said that because I would say that is a lot of it. Like I really, I really like working myself until I'm exhausted. Like, yeah. oh, am I actually yeah. like that? You know, like yeah. just saying, well, I've really put it in today. Like I've really thought hard about it, worked all the horses. Like I've not let myself, you know, cut out anything. I've, I've yeah. done, you know, gone in and done the job. You know, I, I enjoy that as well. So it's, yeah. it's kind of an all one big thing that then molds itself together to hopefully the end result, which we're yeah. all striving for that to be, we're all striving to be better, you know, that's what yeah. we're all trying to do every day. And I think that's then when you put yourself in that situation under pressure at the show, and then you kind of know, am I actually heading to that ultimate place where I want to be? Which yeah. Is just getting better and being, you know, obviously my goal is to be the best in the world and I'm not. So therefore I have to keep working. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, uh, I just picked up this book yesterday and I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called, um, can't hurt me. And, uh, it's, no, this, so. yeah. Uh, Kiefer recommended it actually last year. And it was crazy because yesterday or the day before I walked into Barnes and Noble and it was like staring me on the shelf. And then 
I ended up doing a podcast with Kiefer yesterday and it was kind of wild. This all came together, but I, I was reading it last night and this, this guy who he has a terrible childhood and ends up um, going to be a Naval Navy SEAL. I'm, I'm like, you know, not even halfway through the book, but it's pretty intense. Like, and it's, this is his, like his, um, you know, he's his, basically his work ethic and his drive are the things why he's not a statistic. Like he shouldn't be there. Like he's the impossible. He's like, you know, but anytime, <clears throat> you know, he's talking about this one part right now where um, I, he had to lose like 150 pounds in, in three months or something insane. And so his oh workout schedule was nuts. And there was one day where he just, he just quit one, you know, one push up away. He just couldn't do it anymore. And he went home and he sat down and then he was like that. I can't, I can't, that's it. That's not good enough. Like it's just not good enough. And so he went out, like got the keys to his car, went out and did his whole workout workout all over again. So his one push up cost him 250 and four more hours in the pool. And, um, but that was, oh, he wow. had, yeah, it was, it's kind of an intense, but you would, you would like it. I think it's, it's a pretty intense book, but he, he kind of starts with it and even reading it. Like I had to put it down actually a couple of times because some of it is so raw. Um, you know, and we get used to reading. I mean, I, I, I'm a big reader. I don't know. Um, and, and listen to a lot of stuff on, um, you know, podcasts and and everything when we're driving all over the place. But, you know, you, you read a lot of sports psychology books and you listen to a lot of this, you know, I mean, everything is, uh, has some validity to it, but it, you rarely pick up a book that's so like, you know, it's just really raw. And he, he talks about, um, you know, looking in the mirror and basically in the mirror, writing down the truth, like the truth is not nice. Like it's instead of writing yourself a nice note, like, um, you should lose two pounds in the next two months. He's like, you're fat. <laughs> like, you are. Wow. You, yeah. I mean, it's great. I was like, whoa, you know, like, he's like, you need to look in the mirror. And instead of making, he's like, you know, how you grew up is, is not responsible for how you turn out what, you know, this, this country, you know, third world, second world, first world, all this, like you are 100% responsible for everything that you do. And you need to just wow. be, it's crazy. Right. And what's it called again? Um, it's called Can't. Yeah, it's called Can't Hurt Me. I'll send you a picture of it when we get off the. Oh yeah, that'd be great. Um, but it's it's great. It's really intense. But I I just finished a chapter and and there's kind of challenges at the end of each chapter and it's it's kind of saying anything you know it's talking about really expanding your threshold really and it's right. like anything that you can write down that you really that makes you uncomfortable that you really don't want to do like write it down and then do it and then do it again and then do it again and do it again and all of these things. You know, and he says it in there. He's like, look, you don't have to be as crazy as I am. <laughs> but, yeah, right. uh, you know, news. but yeah, I was like, well, yeah, like seven divorces later. Um, <laughs> like, uh, you know, but, um, you know, anytime you can do something that makes you uncomfortable and then get through it and go down that and do it again and do it again, it's just expanding your threshold for like being tough, basically, and and changing your attitude to a can do attitude and said, I'm, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. And um, you know, I thought it was really, I, I, th I thought it was a really interesting in, in a world filled with like, you know, really being cautious, which we have to be about what we say and what mm -hmm. we do and self-respect and how you talk to each other. But his whole thing is like, this has taught me self-reliance, self-respect, you know, like I am tough, like I can do this. And it was really, it's really interesting kind of mindset, but it's, you know, you're reminding me not as, as intense as that, but, um, you know, like that, that work ethic where you really get down to the end of the day and you're like, okay, I didn't cut any corners. I put all this work in and I can sit down at the end of the day and feel really, you know, like 
good about my day, you know, because it wasn't, yeah, yeah, it wasn't wasted, basically. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. Which means I struggle a little bit to have time off. (laughs) I'm not very good at slowing down. Um, I have to have like a, I have to go away somewhere if I'm going to have a day off because I just can't do it. Yeah. I know. I know. It's probably not healthy, but. I don't know. I mean, like, I, I don't know that, that, you know, some, some people I'm, I'm with you on that, you know, like, I, I kind of feel like, like, I, I need to be totally far away. And then, like, I can, you know, I can sit down and read for a little bit, but then I need to be doing something or making a plan or like my happy places with a pen and a piece of paper and making a plan for my goals and what I want to be doing. And whether that's like, sitting down with tick and talking about our next five year plans, or it's about a horse or, you know, even sitting down at breakfast, if we're on vacation, figuring out what we're doing for the next seven hours and mapping that out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Into um, an organized structure. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, that balance thing, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, where exactly. is it? <laughs> where is it? Um, well, and talking about that, like with Al, like how, how does he fact your husband? Obviously, you know who he is, but I'm, talking to everybody else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm like, how does he factor into all of this? How, where is his, his space in your community and how that helps and supports? Al is awesome. Oh my God. Yeah. He's, he's kind of my, my rock and my balance and is always there for me when I need him, which I really appreciate. He makes a big effort to come to all my big competitions. Yeah. Um, but he really, just helps me be able to to push as hard as I do because I I don't have time to do everything else. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm trying to have time to do everything, but it's just until until the days become 36 hours instead of 24, it's not really possible. Yeah. Um. So and he obviously works a lot on the farms and helps us out in that um side of things. Like he can pretty much fix anything. He can do anything. He can, you know. That's an amazing trait. Whatever, yeah. We're just like, hey, Al, this is broken. And he'll be like, oh, I can fix it. Like, wow, <laughs> cool. Um, and he just kind of helps keep everything going around amidst my crazy. It's probably the best way to put it. <laughs> I say that to my husband. I didn't hide this. <laughs> I was like, you know what you married. <laughs> like, you can't complain about this now. Yeah. He says that to me a lot. He's like, oh, I knew what I was getting into. <laughs> Um, Ah, um, yeah and we do try and like you know (laughs) go and have a nice dinner together or things like that we do try and spend some time together and have like the odd weekend away and stuff because otherwise I just run around like a crazy person um all the time (laughs) yeah um, but he is very supportive (laughs) yeah exactly but he's hugely supportive of my goals and what I'm trying to achieve and um, and I would say he's he's a part of the success that I've had yeah. in the last few years, for sure. So when you think about your, um, you know, your community, you know, w- like looking around, we, you get to a certain point <clears throat> where obviously you have to have, you know, self-belief and, and drive and your own internal motivators, but your external team is hugely important as well. And like in, in your day-to-day work and also moving towards your, your goals, like what type of emphasis do you put on your community as far as everyone that's involved in your community? Is it broad? Is it small? Like how do you manage that 
<clears throat> um, I mean, obviously, I'm very lucky to have a hugely supportive family, which yeah. has been a really big part of my whole career, life, etc. Um, and um, my mom is really awesome. She again just she's still in California. Where is she? Yeah, she is. Yeah, yeah, she's there. We talk pretty often. She comes out for um, the big shows, and we spend obviously the holidays and stuff together. And mm-hmm. um, but yeah, she's very supportive of just what what I do and just being sort of this crazy person that reminds her of her husband because I'm a lot like my dad. <laughs> so um, yeah, she embraces the crazy <laughs> as well. <laughs> I love that. But um, and just trying to have a really good team around us. My my owners have been amazing like i have to say um they really stepped up behind me when everything fell apart last year and it was hard yeah. for them too and um i remember having a, a zoom chat we had like a zoom meeting with um <coughs> rob and chris and i think renee was on there as well and um they the first thing they said to me was right liz with crisis equals opportunity oh wow so let's figure out how we're going to make everything better like let's review the whole structure of everything at home and who you have working for you and everything just how we do it and um it was really really amazing and and i i was really overwhelmed by that you know because they yeah they you know it was a horrible blow for them as well and i had just sort of you know one thing after another went wrong sort of over and over it was like you know you felt like the universe had smacked you down already and then i'm like really anything else like i just can't (laughs) Do you mind, I mean, I don't want to bring up all, you know, dig into it too much, but do you mind kind of talking about, I mean, I obviously 2020 was like, how did you handle 2020 with all that? I mean, my heart went out to everybody that was on that role trying to figure out if the Olympics was happening, how we keep the horses fit, not fit, what are we doing? And then, you know, obviously you move into last year. I mean, how, how was all of that? I mean, I think, yeah, it was, it was crazy when you go from ramping up to go to Kentucky with a shot at the Olympics to suddenly everything's canceled. Yeah. Um, So I gave all my horses a two week holiday straight away when everything got canceled for COVID, which was difficult, but, Mm -hmm. um, and then just tried to make some new goals. It's really what I did. I just said, well, here's what we're going to work on now, you know, with Mm -hmm. each horse where they were going. And then once things got up and running, honestly, of course it was a weird year, but I still felt like I was going and competing and doing everything once we got going. Yeah. Um, And it, it, yeah, it was a good year for me and my team 2020 and, and 2021 started pretty well. And um, obviously it was a huge moment to be named to the team. That was something I dreamed about forever. And um, to then have to step down from it was extremely hard for me, my owners, my family, my team, everybody. Um, yeah. uh, but, you know, we know we did the right thing for the horse and um, and he's back in full work and flying along and yeah, uh, yeah. it'll be, uh, the plan is to take him to the Kentucky Five Star this year, so. Um, right. But yeah, it was, uh, it was just sort of suddenly, I think one of those years like when things went wrong with De Niro, then I had a lot of other just weird little things happen, like tiny weird injuries on horses and things that don't happen to people right. all right. at once. And um, <clears throat> it was sort of um, 
like back in it and I'm like, I felt like I was just being tested. It was like, <laughs> okay, well, you've just about survived that. Well, here you can have this and this and this. <laughs> and then this. Yeah. And, um, I remember coming out like as things I felt like I was finally able to wrap my head around it towards the end of last year. And I said, well, the one thing I've learned through all of this is I'm freaking hardy. <laughs> so right. that is yeah. one thing is yeah. that I was like, I will not let this SHIT storm break me. <laughs> I don't know if we can swear on your podcast, but okay. I'm sure people can swear. Yeah. So it, I think if I look back there, are, there are certainly things that have made me stronger through the whole situation. Um, mm-hmm. Clearly I do not wish for that ever again, but, right. um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but you know, I didn't, yeah, I didn't let it break me and we yeah. kept plugging on and it gave me, it gave me a chance to reassess how we structure my staff and everything. And, uh, you know, really just break stuff down a little bit and mm-hmm. go through the whole go through everything because sometimes yeah. when like they said when with crisis equals opportunity which i think is one of the coolest yeah i read it i've down. ever heard from yeah. someone and yeah <clears throat> it was um yeah so i just tried to look at it that way really and try and yeah. reassess and go forward and are there things that you feel like from that you feel like i you know not just that you survived it but that you're that you have some stronger things in there like some takeaways that you're like okay like this is this is what happened this is where we were in the moment and this is where we're going moving forward like we've we've taken we've fa- we've dug and found any positive we can find out of this <laughs> <laughs> and figured yeah, out i mean some change <clears throat> absolutely i mean i've got um i feel really good about sort of my outer team around me and by that i say um coaches my farrier, you know, that was a big change and he's outstanding and I really trust him, feel great about that. I feel like I really believe in all the vets around me because they all fought for me um, mm-hmm. and sort of it's an odd situation for me because I still look to my vet in England a lot for most mm-hmm. things. So it's a it's a combo of like three vets because we have a yeah. vet in Kentucky and our vet down here and then my vet in England who's kind yeah. of the final say and Dr. Johns has been wonderful as well and very supportive. Yeah. And I feel like I I have this wealth of really talented people that I can yeah. weigh in on and I trust them all. So that's a, a wonderful thing that came out of this. And and just knowing, you know, who really has my back. You know, yeah. my girls at home absolutely dug in. You know, Abby and Jordan went through this whole thing with me. And um, I just have to, like, they've really stood behind me the whole way. Which yeah, is a big deal when you feel like it's all crashing down upon you. It's hard to keep everybody, <laughs> yeah, in the in a good place, you know. And especially when you know my groom left in the middle of it all as well, and it just it was just kind of a mess. But yeah, I'd say the girls that are with me now, they really stuck it out and um, yeah, just had my back. And um, so I think from like that side of it, what we've got now, I feel is a better team structure a better um overall team like from mm-hmm. vets to farriers to physios to everything and mm-hmm. i think i went down to assessing the surfaces and all the arenas and <laughs> right all right. that stuff like everything literally yeah. everything and yeah. um we just hired a new barn manager which we're very excited for her to start um this month and mm-hmm. that was one of the things we wanted to look at was like let's try and have a manager who helps yeah 
sort of all that and then we'll try and have a traveling groom and try and really structure it a little differently so all these things came off the back of what felt like the world's biggest disaster so yeah yeah you know 100% 100% well it's kind of like it's I mean it's so hard like you said earlier like doing you, you know you're so busy doing it's hard to structure you know like you're so busy running around trying to get everything done and the horses ridden and the competition's done and the plans made that um you know often in your team and in your community I know we've struggled with that a lot here you know you're kind of putting people in situations because they're there. <laughs> you yeah, know? Exactly. Like, you know, like, oh, well, you, you may not have like a resume for this, but you seem smart. So why don't you do this? <laughs> you yeah, like, exactly. That. <laughs> instead of creating, you know, and, and I think, and we don't have to go down this road, but I think, you know, like even what's happening with us eventing, instead of creating a structure that's sustainable and, <clears throat> you know, you have this structure and then you fill in that structure so that over 10, 15, 20, 50 years that it works, you know, there's a foundation that works and that then you don't end up kind of, you know, filling in the blanks in situations or, or people that are great, wonderful people end up getting lost because it, there wasn't a structure to support them, you know, and, um, and, and that can so easily happen in the in the barn because everybody's so busy you know like you're just yeah. you don't have time to sit down and really map it out like you said like go through and really figure out how can i get the best people in the best positions to support because it's like it's impossible to know everything you know so you just have to know people that know things <laughs> like, it, exactly and to be able to trust the people you know trying to guide them but also then be able to trust that they are putting the horses first which I think is is so yeah. important and um i think a lot of my girls have actually they they had to step up in the situation and they've learned mm -hmm. a lot through that and, yeah. um and then you know now we are just trying to build build on that because some of the core group have, have been through a lot and they've learned a lot and i think that's yeah. that's really awesome and, and i know they have my back and they believe in our system and you know, we have a ton of horses in right now. I think we have like 26 horses in, which is oh, well. yeah. busy, busy enough, but yeah. everyone is in a good place where everybody has a smile on their face and we work hard, but we still have a laugh and we're all thinking yeah. like 100% the horses come first and it doesn't matter yeah. what time of day that is. And it's been a long time since I've had that as an overall feeling, which yeah. is really great. I mean, it's, yeah. it's awesome. <clears throat> yeah. Well, it's hard. It's hard to find. I know, um, I was having that conversation with one of our girls probably like six months ago and she's a young girl that's been here for a little while. She's a great, great kid. And, um, you know, I said, you'll, you'll know, like when, when we, we haven't had some, you know, some good people in a little while, we've had some staffing stuff, but when you get somebody in and they're just your people and they get it and it, exactly that it's just about the horses, but you've got a, per, they've got the personality that can handle the ups, the downs, the ins, the outs, everybody kind of yeah. knows where their strength, you know, you just, you just gravitate towards those people. And when you kind of get that crew, it's, there's nothing like it. And we've all touched on it and had periods of times in our barns where we've had it, or we've worked in somebody else's yard. And then there's times where you don't quite have it and you can't put your finger on it, but it's not working. <laughs> Yeah, um, exactly. It's, it's yeah, it's pretty stressful, and yeah, it can kind of come out in funny, funny ways. Um, well, that is awesome to hear that everything is headed in a good direction, and De Niro is back and headed to Kentucky, the five star Kentucky. That's awesome. It's so nice that everything is kind of like, yeah. I mean, even looking at horses heading to badminton and 
fairly on the radar and all of that. I can't believe Kentucky is next month. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah sorry. That's kind of <laughs> scary. Oh I know. Gosh, yeah. <laughs> and I only month. just recently sort of made the decision to take him there uh, instead of Lemoulin. I was sort of in two minds about that. And I was like, well, he feels like he's in a really good place. And um, yeah, I just wanted to, I was waiting for the horse to tell me. Yeah. <laughs> Well, what he was ready for. So, um, so yeah, have you, so. has he been out? Have you run him? No, no, he doesn't need a lot of runs. So he, yeah. he's been to WAC and he's jumped at WAC and we've done the Dressler show there as well. Um, which was all good. And he's been out doing things, but, um, I'm only going to give him, uh, he's going to do the three star at Carolina and then he'll yep. do the four star at the fork. Oh, awesome. Um, okay. Which is, should be enough for him. He only had two runs literally last year before. Yeah. Um, and I think he knows his job now. He's 14 this year and yeah, he doesn't need multiple runs, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, fabulous. Fabulous. Uh, cool. Well, I'm going to go ahead and bump over into, I sent you some questions. I don't know if you had a chance mm -hmm. to look at them. <laughs> Maybe on a I hack. Did briefly. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, so that I don't have you on the phone for another two hours, because these, these questions we tend to kind of do the last little bit on the podcast with, because um, it's kind of fun to delve into a little bit about you. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But um, so we'll go ahead and start with those. If you're, if you're ready. Um, sure. All right. So what is the biggest lesson a horse has taught you about yourself? Um, patience and perseverance, mm. I think. Um, yeah, I really think that's horses push us in that direction all the time. And I've produced a lot of horses from young ones up to where they are now. That's pretty much usually what I've always done with them. And um, certainly those two things is sometimes when you think it's not working, it comes out the other side the right way. If you mm -hmm. take a moment to think about it, take a moment to be patient, and then you persevere by thinking of another way in that might yeah. work better. And sometimes that is the answer. And has patience been something that's come, I feel like the perseverance thing has come probably pretty naturally to you. <laughs> I think I think the, patience, like, I know for so me, yeah, I was like, I know for me, patience is, is something I have to work very hard at. Me too. <laughs> it's easier as I get older. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But is that no, something I as agree. a young person or, or now, or was there a time where you kind of just went, okay. <laughs> I think it's more, I mean, like in the, in the training side mm -hmm. of it is that sometimes right. you have to say, well, this is not working out exactly how I want it, but I'm going to look at what things have actually gotten better already. And yeah. sometimes, especially with the young horses, it's taking a minute to review where they are and where they've come from and what path they're on. And then yeah. sometimes you'll find you're further ahead than you actually know you are, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's actually, um, that's yeah. actually a good piece of advice, I think, probably for, I know I, that's an interesting thing to do actually with the horses. I know we try and sit down and do that with our business and with, you know, kind of every six months and with what's going on in the farm, because you do, you're totally right. When you write stuff down, you kind of go, oh, this is better. But I, I hadn't actually thought about that too much with kind of the younger horses sometimes, but that, or the horses in general, but that's a really great probably system for people when they're getting a little frustrated or feel a little bit stuck to just sit down and, you know, review. I like that. Exactly. Just think it through and think, where where did you come from? Where are you now? What path are you on? And are you still on that path? Yeah. And what can be changed to make it better? 
yeah, put your sticky notes on your mirror, but don't be too mean to yourself. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite training or competition mantra that you reference regularly? Um, the biggest thing for me, which I have always said, um, actually for people, it's like my training mm -hmm. tip, if you will, is just treat every horse as an individual. Yeah. And I think that is, it's something that I hang on to uh, with every shred of me because I ride a, a really a lot of different horses. I don't ride a lot of mm -hmm. horses that are the same. They're all really different types and a good horse is a good horse. Right. Um, yeah. and they, I ride a lot of quirky horses because a lot of the my top horses were originally bought to be sale horses, and then I realized they were too tricky to sell. Right. Um, and so they, and then they ended up being very good horses. So, um, but I think just looking at each one as their own individual person, and I try and do that in my training. And what is going to make this horse tick? What works for this horse? What that doesn't mean that one bit works for every horse, or this, that, or the other. Or, that training technique maybe doesn't work for this one. So we'll try this. And um, yeah. it's just something I hold on to a lot. Do you have a particular type of horse that you would lean, lean towards that you would have a preference for? Um, my biggest thing is that they have to be light on their feet. That's yeah. probably the biggest thing. Um, whenever I look at any horses, I, I don't like big, heavy horses. Um, yeah. But, the, and it's, but it can be, like I have a lot of different types of horses in my barn. I try and obviously have enough blood in them, but it's, it's being light on their feet and athletic. Yeah. It's just super important. Yeah. And is that, is that something when you, when you're watching them go or when you're sitting in the tack? Cause I've had that happen where I watch a horse and I think it's going to be really heavy. And then I get on and I'm actually like, Oh, this is super light. And then the same thing the other way, you know, you kind of, watch something I mean do you kind of get on the horses and have a bit of a feel and see what you think or is it something that is a little predetermined when you watch them go um a little bit of both I mean I think <clears throat> if I always listen to how their feet are landing on the ground even just mm -hmm. in their way of going not necessarily just jumping but in their way of going and certainly when I look at young horses that's something I think about a lot yeah. um before I get on them but then of course it's a feel as well and just yeah. if they feel like natural athletes or not yeah. Um, if they travel downhill into the ground, you know, a lot of horses like to gallop into the ground. I think that's very hard to, to train them out of. Um, I yeah. think it's in that something you would feel. Um, and obviously I'm still figuring this out myself too, but I like say, I look at a lot of young horses. I do a lot of that. And it's, it's interesting to find in myself what I inherently don't like. I know that mm -hmm. now, but it's also looking at just what, defines a good horse to me and I think those are right. just some really important things I try and follow with my gut is that mm -hmm. even if I see a horse that I think is wonderful or he's really talented if he's heavy on his feet or he lands heavy I'm like this is not not gonna this work this is not gonna be right for the top top level yeah yeah and if it is it might just be for one event <laughs> yeah exactly right exactly yeah. looking at the end game not, yeah. not just the first competition i don't want to put game. 10 years in to get around one five star it, exactly yeah no totally um is there a piece of advice someone gave you along the way that you still reference today <clears throat> um well there there are actually two things obviously what my dad told me about taking risks in life i really believe yeah. in that um he actually read me there's a really amazing poem called to risk 
mm-hmm. which I would recommend you reading. It's awesome. And he read it to me when I was very young and um, I've sort of hung on to it. I actually read it at his funeral. <laughs> um, that's how much we hung on to it. You know, it was yeah. one of those things. Um, and um, I recommend anyone reading it. It's a really cool poem. Yeah, I will look it up. Um, and uh, also I had years ago, I had um, uh, sort of a, one of those mental coaches and that sort of thing when I was car racing a lot. Mm-hmm. And this guy, he said to me, and I, I actually say this a lot in clinics now as well. Um, if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always gotten. Right. And that's something I think about all the time. Because yeah. so many of us get bogged down into just doing stuff the way we do it. Yeah. And maybe the way we do it isn't good enough. Yeah. But it's easy to just do what you've always done, but then you'll get what you've always gotten. And I, I yeah. try and think about that a lot because obviously <clears throat> I want to be better. And so I'm like, yeah. okay, well, what isn't good enough? So let's try and yeah. think how can that be different instead of just getting stuck in the way we do things. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. We were... I was talking about that with someone yesterday and it was, it's, you know, it's almost like, yeah, it's like you get into these habits and you don't even realize that, yeah, you're going out and you're training every day and you're working every day or doing this, but the changes and the things that you're working on are the same, you know, you're working on, yeah exactly you know, like seeing a little better stride or blah, blah, you know, like more consistent here, but it's not really, you know, you get to a certain point where you need kind of a big change or a big learn or a big moment or some inspiration or something that you kind of go, okay, this is going to like pivot me in a, in a, a little bit of a different direction to get a little bit of a different result, you know, like, are you doing enough different to get a different result, which is, or even like little things, you know, making a decision that you're going to work on, you know, your own position every day and being diligent about it and saying, mm-hmm. you know, actually it's not good enough. Like, I don't yeah. You know, like I've, I've been working really hard on my jumping position because it needs to be better. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> it'd be very easy to just do it the way you do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's, oh, yeah. Uh, so I keep telling myself, okay, the way you do it, I don't, I don't believe it's good enough. Even if right. the horses jump clear, I think it's yeah. not what it should be. So it needs some changing. So mm-hmm. it's like little things like that. I always say to people, just, just have self-review every day. You know, if you're training on the flat, be thinking, is my position better? What's my seat doing? Do I need to pull my shoulders back more? Am I tipping one or the other? It's just, I think we need to all just keep that self-review and yeah. trying to be better. And then, and then it, you can chip away at it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's like, um, I know it was, I think it was Tiger Woods. Was it that his, his swing was already always like, I don't know, a quarter of an inch or something off to the left or something. And then all of his coaches just said, well, just aim a quarter inch to the right. <laughs> and he oh. said, no, you know, like, and he said, no, I'm going to, he took off, you know, X amount of time to, he's like, no, I want to be able to hit it straight. Like that's not yeah. good enough, you know, like, and here he is, you know, he's still at that point, you know, the best golfer in the world. And, um, you know, was like you said, kind of in self-review and saying, no, it's even if all of this, the results look okay, I know it can be better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, what do you do when you are seeking inspiration? Well, um, well, sometimes I, um, there's a few things, but I like to, I'll go and watch videos of some really great riders. If I need Mm -hmm. some inspiration there, I'd say that actually is really helpful. And, um, 
Eric Devander is really good at sending through little videos that he thinks are brilliant. And sometimes it'll just be like a really talented show jump rider warming up at a big competition. And mm-hmm. you watch that and he's like, this is a beautiful warm up. Like he'll send that through and stuff, which I love. And I'll yeah. you look at that and you're saying, God, it is like, how, yeah. can, you know, those sort of things are, are inspirational moments. Um, mm-hmm. I think for me anyway, and certainly sometimes if I'm <clears throat> having a, like a down time and stuff, I'll say, okay, I'm going to pull up the cross country live feed from Burley or something. Right. And I'm going to watch the best rides yeah. today. And what can I do to make that better? Yeah. Um, and I think some of that has actually improved my cross country riding a little bit. It's yeah. just watching a lot of best riders and what do they do that I'm not doing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think those are certainly in our sports. That's that's sort of a way that I would gain inspiration. But you know, there's some really great podcasts and stuff out there too. Sometimes you just need to open your mind and listen. I love reading or listening to on audiobooks The Secret. Have you ever read that? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's totally. awesome. I used to listen yeah. to The Secret like once a year. I just put <laughs> you it know in what's my funny? Headphones. I ended up yeah, like I mean, when did that come out? 2001, 2002? Oh, something like, like that. Yeah, ages ago. Yeah, it was a long, long time ago. And um, I did, I, I remember doing like a vision box. And <laughs> what, what was crazy was I, I put it away somewhere. And years later, I was moving and I found it. And it was nuts. Like it was like, I couldn't have, like I had cut out a picture of, Rolex, I had cut out a picture of William Fox Pitt. I had cut out a picture of Zara Tyndall doing something. And this was years and years and years before I like before I had a good horse and before I even thought about moving to England. And I worked for Zara at, like and I worked for you know William later, but it was bananas when I looked at it, how many wow. things were like a direct association to the pictures that I had just taken out of magazines. It was so crazy. I was like, ah, I was it's nice. so funny that you brought that up because I, the other day I was like, I should just do that again. (laughs) Yeah, no, for real. It's, you know, it's sometimes, um, just, I find it grounding again. Yeah. Kind of makes you focus again and say, right. I can just make a decision to be positive in the right direction and put it out there. You got to put it out there to the universe all the time. I know. I mean, why not? (laughs) <laughs> it's reminded me of one of my drives coming up here. I'm going to listen to it again. Yeah, that's so <laughs> time cool. for my yearly review. <laughs> <laughs> my yearly secret, secret out. That is so funny, actually, that you said that because I really, I really was thinking about that the other day. Um, that's wow. wild, um, weird. That universe, it's weird. Um, <laughs> Put it out <laughs> there. <laughs> no. Um, have you had an experience or adversity separate from horses in your life that you feel has directly influenced you as a horseman? Um, I mean, I, I think the, I suppose my time in motorsport actually has made me uh, better in the pressure situation in my horse sport, certainly. Mm-hmm. Because that was some of the biggest amount of pressure I've ever been under in my entire life. Um, oh, really? And uh, unbelievable. I mean, like knowing because I did a lot of endurance racing. So I was in, you know, 24 hour races, 12 hour races, six hour races. So you're always with another driver. Mm-hmm. Um, not actually in the car with you at the same time, obviously. But um, you're doing stints, you know, of like two, three hours and then swapping. And it's hugely physical and like being under the pressure where basically you've got the whole team behind you 
and you're getting in that car and you know that you've got to put in the lap time mm-hmm. and there's traffic because the racing we did there were four different classes of race cars on the track at once so you'd be always passing or being passed or something and you're trying to put in that lap time lap after lap after lap after lap you know for two or three hours mm-hmm. um and that it was a giant amount of pressure right um, you know knowing i didn't want to let the team down and having everyone behind you and um but i think it helped mold me into being better in the competition ring right now yeah because I can always look back on that, you know, um, and say, well, that was, you know, a huge amount of pressure there. And I always think about that, too, when it's really hot. I'll say, well, at least I'm not putting on a three-layer driving suit, a balaclava, <laughs> and a helmet, and getting into basically an oven on wheels um, for three yeah. hours to have my heart rate at 175 beats yeah. per minute for three hours and that hot. I'm like, I'm totally just ride yeah. my body protector on. Like, yeah, fine. you're like this, and I'll be going fast outside. There'll, there'll exactly. be a breeze. I'll have a breeze. Going. <laughs> yeah, Definitely no problem. Like Medium oh, no, I'm like totally fine. <laughs> that is yeah. wild. That is wild. That's crazy. Yeah, well, I mean that, yeah, yeah, that is, well, it's so interesting. I mean, it is so interesting how you can draw different parallels from things like that. And it is, it's like kind of what we talked about earlier. It's a little bit like expanding your threshold to certain situations. And you're like, it might still not be comfortable, but you're like, I've done this before. I've been in these pressurized situations before I've been uncomfortable before and I'm fine. You know, like it's exactly. going to be, if I can do that, then I can do this. Is I yeah. think it's nice to be able to draw on that sometimes, yeah. isn't it? those experiences. Yeah. Um, we had a, we had an interesting guy here, um, doing a clinic. We do, we do kind of a lot of, um, like we draw a little bit from the Western world and some of our, our clinicians in the horsemanship world. And we had a really neat guy named Josh Nickel out here for, um, for a couple of days. And he really talked about expanding threshold and he was talking about with horses, you know, you kind of think about threshold as this point that you hit, you know, like it's like a line in the sand where, mm-hmm. you know, even with people where you get them to threshold and that's where the learning happens. But if you go over th- threshold, that's where anxiety happens. And if you never get to threshold, then you're not learning, right? You're not pushing. Right. Um, but he, <laughs> he is talking about, if you know, changing the visual of it instead of this thin line is to like a broader space, like that you just keep expanding that threshold so that you can kind of sit in that discomfort for a little bit longer and think. Uh-huh which I thought was a really cool. Interesting. Yeah, I thought it was really, really cool. And it's kind of, you know, even what we're trying to do with our horses all the time is override their God-given instincts to survive, right? <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> uh, you know, like they don't have that <laughs> um, frontal lobe. Well, I should think about uh, this before I bolt, you know, they just bolt. And, um, and, but I thought it was a really, you know, kind of a cool thing because with people, um, with animals, if you can kind of get into that discomfort and that pressure, maybe coming back to that word that we were talking about earlier and not either panic to get out or panic to fix it, but you just sit there, you know, and you can kind of operate in that and think and then decide, you know, a little bit which way you're going in there is kind of a powerful thing. And that sounds like something that you've gotten really good with through a few different avenues in your life that actually you know, thriving under pressure might actually as well just be like you have a big threshold for pressure and you can sit in that and think in it and you're not scared of it. And it doesn't mean it's comfortable, but yeah. you're okay 
there. Well, that's a really you know? cool way of breaking it down. I like that actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, no, thought... I think you're. I think you're right. Yeah, it's um, and even in this, like again, that book that I'm reading now, it seems like, you know, there's all these things that can make you uncomfortable, and we just shy away from them. So we're so, you know, um, can kind of be programmed to shy away from them. Where actually, you don't have Rather to like than practicing conquer. it. Yeah, <laughs> you have to yeah. practice that. You got to just the get discomfort in there. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, just lean in. Uh, you know, you're like, that sounds great. <laughs> like, yeah, that sounds amazing. <laughs> I mean, there's there's probably got to be something on the, you know, there's got to be some, again, balance. There's got to be something on the backside that, uh, you know, feels good. But at, at the end of the day, isn't it like, like you said, getting home at the end of the day and sitting down and being like, okay, you know, I can actually sit down and I'm a little bit tired. <laughs> And that yeah, feels good, exactly. you know. It's like when you're yeah, actually muscle sore from really going to the gym, you know. You're like, that's a good pain. Exactly, um, exactly that. Well, that is awesome. Well, it's like been it. so fun chatting. I really, really appreciate this. I think this is, uh, yeah, I learned a lot. I think this is a really kind of. I think this is going to be one of those podcasts that I'd go back and listen to and find a little inspiration from. And I'm super motivated from. Um, yeah, from kind of the you're you're thriving on pressure that helped me actually because I, I don't always think I'm very good with the pressure thing. Like I think that's something that I shy away from sometimes, and I've been working really hard on on that side of things and be and owning it a little bit more. And I think this conversation has actually helped me put that in a space that is kind of you can work at it. <laughs> you know? You're gonna like, go practice it. You're gonna practice gonna go. the pressure now. I'm gonna practice the pressure. I'm gonna I'm gonna hopefully get this baby out of me and then practice the pressure. Oh god. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, the ninth month I of pressure. That's pressure. I know. <laughs> I don't. I remember. Doing? Um I'm it I mean two weeks, but hopefully tomorrow. <laughs> I know. So that's, a, that's a totally different type of pressure. <laughs> oh my God. I can only imagine. No, you yeah, don't. So you're, you're already like winning at that. So <laughs> I don't know if that's no the problem. word I would use. <laughs> it, it definitely gives you a different perspective, but I'm, um, I'm super, um, I'm super eager to kind of get back at it and get into the, literally get back into the ring. So um, anyway, so I really appreciate you taking the time. This has been, this has been awesome. And, um, and if people want to kind of follow along with your journey and your story, where do they, where do they find you? Where do they follow you? Um, I am on Instagram, which is, um, Liz Halliday Sharp. And then, uh, I'm also on Facebook. We've got, uh, the, uh, HS eventing team, I think is one of them or HS eventing. Gosh, I can't even remember now. And then I've, <laughs> I've also got my own Facebook, um, I, uh, which is just Liz Halliday and of course our website, um, hseventing.com. So there are options awesome. there and we try and have some good videos up and various things and fun. And I have a team that's helping make sure that that gets out there because I just can't do it all, but, um, okay, you don't have to, yeah. you just have to know people that do <laughs> exactly, exactly. delegation is the key. It's important. Awesome. And so we'll be seeing De Niro at Kentucky and then, That's and the then fingers crossed and we'll send good luck for things happening later in the summer and fall. Yeah. We're hoping to go. Yeah, exactly. And I've got a horse going to Lemoulin for the Quicksilver is going to aim for that. So that'll oh, be exciting. Cool. And um, yeah, we've got a, a lot of great horses just up and coming right now, so it's very exciting. Some big things for the rest of the year, hopefully. 
Well, now, fingers crossed. Um, awesome. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. This has been a lot of fun, and um, best of luck with your next <laughs> challenge as well. Thanks. <laughs> I'll take it. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. Before you go, I just want to let you know more about Ride IQ. At its core, Ride IQ gives everyone access to instruction from the best equestrian coaches in the world. It might sound impossible, but with Ride IQ, you get access to the private mobile app that has hundreds of on-demand, listen-while-you-ride audio lessons taught by top riders and coaches in eventing, hunter jumpers, and dressage. Here's how it works. You look through the app and choose a lesson based on your horse or a skill you're working on. There are lessons for green off-the-track thoroughbreds and nervous horses and horses that are behind the leg, as well as lessons that teach every stage of skills like shoulder in or trot lengthenings. Then you tack up and press play and you have a top coach like Doug Payne or Leslie Law or Gina Smith in your ear guiding you every step of the way. If you enjoyed today's episode, it is always appreciated if you can take a moment to share the podcast with your friends and family and leave a review on your podcast app. The best way to support the podcast is to become a Ride IQ member at ride-iq.com. And when you do, we hope you're excited to see that InStride is just one of multiple podcast shows on the app, including hack chats, conversations with coaches, and more. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful week and please do press follow or subscribe on whatever podcast platform you listen on. And as always, remember to pat your horse.